What is happening, everyone? Welcome again to The Window, Canada's sports betting podcast. Ahead on today's episode of The Window, Wild Card Weekend is already getting wild, with news that only 2020 could be proud of. I'll take our first look at the lines for the six games this weekend, the case to be made for each side, but what bets do we need to make now? Then who's up for some midweek college basketball action? The water's getting warmer. Nine games to look at for Super Tuesday. Are we buying or selling the Blue Bloods of the NCAA? It's time to head to the window. Let's go. Welcome to The Window. I'm your host and sports betting professional, Matt Russell. Quick episode today, and I know you've heard that one before, but yesterday went longer than I had hoped. And, you know, we had a lot more to talk about, to be honest with you. Um, And we'll have a lot more going on later on in the week. And we'll take a quick look today, though, with the NFL wildcard board. And part of that is, you know, this show is... You know, it's not sports talk, right? It's not sports, it's sports betting talk, right? So, But we talk about the same stuff that the sports talk people talk about, but we talk about it within the context of sports betting. So we'll look at the board, some news today, changing things, how is it changing things, how it might potentially change things going forward, and how we need to take advantage of that if we do it all on a Tuesday. And then if you're looking for some action tonight, uh, college hoops, we are now ankle deep. After Saturday, 7-1-1, one, one. been joking about going, you know, dipping our toe in here and there. We went ankle deep on Saturday for a 7-1-1 one, one day. Hopefully we don't give a ton of that back, but I've got another nine games that interest me tonight. So we might be, we might even be calf deep. We might be up to the calf muscle in this situation. But first, wild card weekend lines are up and they are moving and early bets have been made and lines are moving off of news and lines are moving off of bets and all of this is really happening. And if you're new to the show, what is this, right? What is the Tuesday NFL talk? And we do it one, you know, weeks one through 17 just to sort of get everything out there. And we talk about it in sort of two different ways. One, we make kind of a case for both sides early on in the week so that when Friday's show rolls around and we decide who and what to bet, both on Friday and during the regular season on Sunday, you know, at least we've got a framework starting with looking at both sides because I see a lot of people and it's Monday and Tuesday and they've already got their card and they've already got these bets and they're doing their their show on Wednesdays or even Thursdays and decisions have already been made. And To me, that's obviously a great disservice. And this season, of course, more than any other, more than any other, because you see, like, news can happen at any given time. Like, this isn't last year, where on Monday, if you love a line that opens, you know, it's seven and a half, and you want to grab that seven and a half real quick before it moves, and then you can see come Sunday, it's a flat seven, or even crosses over and goes to six and a half. Like, that's just based on market move nowadays in this season when it's college football nfl football or any sport the line is going to move based on some pretty aggressive news and so we make the case for both sides in this show and unless there's a number that we absolutely have to grab this early on in the week for a very very good reason so we'll get into that Uh, let's start with 
the Indianapolis Colts and the Buffalo Bills here. So what's the case for the Colts? Well, the case for the Colts is frankly the line right now. Making cameo appearances at seven is too high. And you can see that every time it ticks to seven, it bounces right back to six and a half. And that's just indicative of the fact that this line, yeah, is a little bit too high. This line is probably should be closer to five, five and a half. You know, it's probably never going to get down that way. But from an actual sort of number standpoint, and it's kind of perfect because it dovetails or sort of reverse dovetails, depending on how you look at it, with the Monday Night Football game against the Patriots a couple of weeks ago, where it was like, why is this line so short? I mean, it was minus seven, so it's still a pretty penny to pay for the Buffalo Bills in a game that we figured they would blow out the Patriots. And it just never moved up despite the popularity of the Bills, right? Like people were just pouring money into the Bills, but it stayed down because the numbers people had a lower number on the Patriots and were willing to take that plus seven just based on their numbers, regardless of the eye test and the fact that we had seen that the Patriots just fr <laughs> frankly just were not very good for an extended period of time. That's not necessarily the case here with the Colts, right? This is not like, oh, yeah, the Colts have been bad for, you know, X amount of time or whatever, whatever. The results haven't been incredible the last few weeks. Like, the eye test hasn't been phenomenal. Obviously, once you get into the playoffs, we're talking about colder weather conditions. Not as cold as some may sort of just say offhand, assuming Buffalo in January, it's got to be minus a billion and snow up to your, you know, chin and you know blah 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 it's actually not going to be that bad it's gonna be right around freezing this is a game that's in the middle of the afternoon so it's not like you know the sun may be out right it's going to be a little bit warmer than you might think with the idea of a you know 40 year old quarterback going on the road to try to beat a really good buffalo team so the case for the Colts is getting that plus seven is probably in tune with the market and, and value from that standpoint. Well, what's the case for the Buffalo Bills? The case for the Buffalo Bills is pretty clear. They look like a juggernaut, right? Offensively, defensively right now, it does seem to be clicking on all cylinders that they can literally go in and play half of a game and really a quarter, maybe a quarter and a half of the game because the first quarter, the first half of the first quarter against the Dolphins, they didn't really do much. And they can go in against a team that really needs the game and absolutely destroy them. And I don't know that the Dolphins were a quote-unquote playoff team, right? Sort of right around league average, right? A team that had to be within a field goal to the Chargers, to the Raiders, to the Broncos. And so, you know, that's the kind of you know power rating that we're talking about when it comes to the Dolphins. That being said, it's still an NFL football team trying their absolute hardest. And the Bills just had, you know no problem whatsoever so obviously the case for the bills is what that is we've been saying this for a few weeks now it's like it's not it's never going to get any you know better for the bills and to be honest with you it kind of has right <laughs> like it kind of keeps getting better and better like they keep outperforming expectations so why i compare this game to the patriots game for a couple of weeks from a couple of weeks ago is that yeah the number is too big based on all of them you know metric stuff that people use but maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe the Bills are just that good. And, you know, the sort of naysayer, dread, you know, Buffalo Bill fan is going to be like, yeah, but it's going to all come crashing down here at some point. And maybe it does, right? It's the playoffs. There's certainly a long history of games that go the exact opposite way that you think they're going to go. And the Colts are certainly a good enough team, right? The defense, pretty good. The offense, pretty good. But again, I got some concerns about the Colts in general. And so 
while the number might make sense for betting the Colts and the sort of eye test and where we think that the Bills may be headed makes sense to bet the Bills here. For me, I don't have anything on this game yet. I don't think there's any reason to jump at one number or another because I think, you know, listen, you could jump on minus six and a half with the Bills, but I still think that that number kind of stays where it is and may even tick down. So don't be afraid of that. I think that's just the math guys bringing that number down potentially if that ends up being the case. And if you like the Colts, then, you know, you're not grabbing it at six and a half. You're getting it anytime you want that plus seven. Uh, Rams and Seattle. This one I think is actually a lot more interesting, at least from an early week standpoint, because we sit here waiting to find out whether it's Walford or whether it's Goff. And I think the line is sort of indicative of a leans towards it being Walford. And I think this might go a little bit higher should he be announced in the game. So this one isn't all that complicated from a line analysis standpoint. Like, look at it. We just had this two weeks ago, right? Rams at the Seahawks. And the line was one. And I, along with many others, liked the Rams in this game based on our sort of NFC West cycle, uh, you know, circle of death type of thing that we have going on. Uh, And now that we're getting five, four and a half, Maybe it goes higher with Walford. Maybe we get up to six. Even if it, even if it's Goff and the number creeps down towards three, like it's never going to get back to one. And you say, well, that's fine. But like Seattle won that game a couple of weeks ago. Well, if you watch that game, like that game is a dead even game. Um, you know, fourth down, uh, f- you know, well, first and goal, uh, fourth down stop for the Seahawks turns that game in the favor of the Seahawks. And they end up winning the game because... Jared Goff's trying to make a comeback with a broken hand to the point where he doesn't play the next game, right? Like we've seen this a handful of times this season, whether it's Gardner Minshew trying to backdoor the Chargers with a broken hand, he ends up missing a month and you're like, Gardner, like it would have been nice if we had an actual quarterback with a real hand being able to, you know, try to get that late touchdown. So Jared Goff would have been nice if you had a real hand trying to get a late score to at least cover teaser numbers for people on that day. So, you know, it's not going to come all the way down to the one that it was two weeks ago, but I don't think that, you know, Seattle minus one was necessarily all that uh, wrong of a number just because they won the game. And people getting a little excited about the Seattle defense, but for me, this is just the Rams defense. This is all about the Rams defense. And it was shown two weeks ago against Seattle. uh, You know, it's shown on a weekly basis, right? Like for as much as, you know, John Walford came in And listen, that's a tough spot, right? To come in week 17, season potentially on the line here, and you've never started a game before, and guess what? You're in, and you have to manage this offense that, like, the coach is telling you what to do, and okay, like, and you got to sort of execute all of this stuff. I was actually really impressed, and he throws an interception early, and you're like, oh, oh, like, this this could be rough. They get behind, so it's not like the game script necessarily helped. Now, of course, the defense gets a pick six late in the second quarter, and so you go, okay, well, like, did he do anything other than just kind of, like, man the ship here? But that's kind of the point, because I think the Rams' defense is good enough that he can just man the ship, and as the confidence grows throughout that game, and then into a full week's preparation here, again, against a team that they just played so there shouldn't be any secrets when it comes to that and now you're going to give me over three points here kind of no matter who the starting quarterback is I'm all about that now I personally think Walford is going to start and I think once that announcement comes I think we might get six and if that announcement comes I don't know that this number is going to come off of four and a half or five downwards right like that that type of announcement isn't going to just like 
generate all kinds of interest in the Rams. And so for me, this is sort of the opposite of like, let's get this number now. This is a, I've made a decision on this game. I'm going to be betting the Rams. It's really just, let's wait and see if we can get the full six so that if this happens to go to overtime, we have a little insurance in our back pocket. If it just never happens that way, I'm completely fine taking five. I'm completely t- fine taking four and a half. If Jared Goff makes this recovery and now he's in the mix, we're going to see how far this line goes. And that might be the thing that takes me off of this game. Because again, I don't have a ton of faith in Jared Goff just at the best of times. And if he's in any way, shape or form compromised from a throwing standpoint, and you know they just are for some reason desperate to get him back in the lineup, I'm not about that. So we'll see where that goes. Tampa Bay and Washington. Okay, what's the case for Tampa Bay? Well, the case for Tampa Bay is pretty clear, right? Like, they're better than Washington is. I know Tom Brady, all of that stuff. And obviously the case is we just watched watched Washington going up against like a C-level, maybe even a D-level defense and just completely unable to score. And I was looking ahead at this game before the Sunday night game going like, wow, Washington's D-line, okay, like this is going to be a relatively low-scoring game against the Bucs. I'm going to be probably all over Washington. I wonder how many points I can get. Then it opens at seven and a half. And, you know, I we talk all the time, listen to as many podcasts as you can, some of them more recreationally. Uh, You know, I've referenced the Bill Simmons and Cousin Sal podcast that I listen to just for entertainment and really to sort of see what the public stooges, if you will, are sort of initially reacting when it comes to games, right? If Bill Simmons says, oh, that line is too high or or too low, like, he's probably wrong. I mean, I'm not saying he's probably wrong in that, like, he's not correct in thinking that the line is going to go higher. So in this case, and the reason I bring this up is that he saw, you know, they talked about Washington minus seven and a half, and he's like, wow, that's like way too short. And I don't disagree with it because obviously now we're up to eight and a half. But the point is, is that his initial reaction is probably going to coincide with what happens to that point spread. And sure enough, right, it goes up to eight and a half. So if Bill Simmons thinks it's short, a lot of people in the market are going to think it's short as well. And so that number is going to go higher. So the case against the, the Buccaneers here is obviously the line sort of creeping up. And maybe it goes a little bit higher and we start talking about a realm here where the magnetism of the tie, right? Like the magnetism of the NFL to be a close game, uh, especially come playoff time, exists that that maybe this game ends up being, you know, a seven point game late. Uh, Mike Evans doesn't seem like he's going to play in this one. They seem to think that he has avoided long term injury, which is nice for the Bucs. And I don't necessarily think Washington's going to come up and win this game outright. But you go, okay, well, you know, the case against Washington, you just talked about, like, how can they score against Tampa Bay? Well, the case for Washington is, one, just a ton of points that we're getting here with a really good defense going up against a statue quarterback. So there was a point in that game against Philadelphia where you're like, I'm not sure Philadelphia is going to even score a point here. And then they reeled off two sort of quick touchdowns in that second quarter, but a lot of that had to do with the run game and including Jalen Hurts as part of that run game, right? Because every team's run game looks a little bit different when their quarterback can move as well, right? You just you just have different plays available to you. So with the Bucks, their plays that are available to them are Brady takes the snap, runs it back to the running back, 
hands it off, and the running back goes straight, right? Like there's no, oh, Brady might keep it and take off. Like we have to worry about that. We have to keep, you know, the outside linebacker or the defensive end, right? Chase Young can't be screaming off the edge. That's not the situation here, right? Like he can scream all he wants off of the edge. And the Buccaneers offensive line, pretty good, right? Getting healthier. Uh, Obviously that's in a really, really incredible matchup for this game, but it's going to be all on the arm of Tom Brady. And now we go to Tom Brady after dark and a guy who goes to bed at eight o'clock. And listen, you can say that this is silly and it doesn't matter, but like, I would disagree with you. I just would, right? It's human nature. And the guy, as much as he seems like a robot, as much as he's lived his life trying to be a robot as best as possible, there's a reason that they are practicing at night for these primetime games because they know like they are desperate to get everyone not just Brady but everyone sort of on that same body clock that they can end up playing games and at a high level at 10 30 11 o'clock at night right like imagine you doing anything at 2 a.m physically at the age of you know 35 plus and so like i'm sorry he's not a robot if this game was at one o'clock right we've seen one o'clock tom (laughs) it's pretty good still at this point in time but every time we see tom after dark it's a little bit rougher than we think it's going to be and at the end of the day when we're talking about point spreads here a little bit rougher than we think it's going to be is kind of the whole point, right? The whole thing is, is it going to be a little bit worse than we think? Is it going to be a little bit better than we think? When we come to Washington, it kind of can't be worse offensively than it was this past week. And again, that was just last week. And it's not like, you know, Alex Smith and the Washington football team here have been lighting it up offensively in past games, but at least they have been functional in certain spots. And by the way, the Washington, you know, defense might be good enough to just, and I'm going to say win a game here, but let's say cover a spread just on defense alone, where they only end up giving up 17, 20 points, something along those lines. And maybe it's 20 to 6 late and Washington gets a late score. Maybe they get a pick six of Brady or something like a scoop and score from Brady. You know, maybe we see that Brady who's just kind of hucking it up in the air aimlessly with kind of nothing to throw to because, again, the run game isn't going. You know, maybe Mike Evans isn't in this one. Uh, Obviously, things are looking a little bit better when it comes to Antonio Brown and Chris Godwin. But look at the opponents that they've played in the last few weeks. So a couple of different ways to look at that game. Do I think that the, you know, Washington's necessarily going to win this game? I don't. But like as this line creeps up, obviously that makes a greater case for Washington in this one. As for the Sunday games, Baltimore and Tennessee here. And another situation where, frankly, the line is just off here. Baltimore minus three and a half. So I bet Tennessee plus three and a half. I recommend you doing that as well because I think this line is just coming down to three and maybe even two and a half based again on the numbers, like what the numbers, you know, eventually the numbers people sort of weigh in to a degree that the line kind of ends up being where they say that it should be, or at least awfully close to it, right? Like the way that these lines get shaped are the case there. And it's not like Baltimore isn't going to get a ton of, you know, attention here. Uh, I just think that the, the correct line, once everything is sort of all said and done here, happens to be minus three. The case for Baltimore, though, 
obviously that they've just been trucking teams the last few weeks, but we've talked about it before. You know, we sort of made the promise to ourselves. We're not going to get that excited about the Baltimore Ravens because they beat up on the Giants, the Jaguars, and the Bengals, right? It's just never going to be that easy for Baltimore. Now, defensively, Tennessee might actually be as easy for Baltimore, but at least there's a team that can fight back in the Tennessee Titans here. So again, I'd make the early bet on plus three and a half. I certainly don't expect that to go to four. Of course, asterisk, barring any sort of insane, crazy news, which again, we're going to get to in a second here. Um, Case for Tennessee, obviously, again, line too high, uh, offense good enough to punch back. um, And, you know, listen, They've beat them twice in the last year, and I don't know that anything's necessarily changed. Um, Obviously, in that playoff matchup, Baltimore deserved probably a better fate than getting blown out by Tennessee based on how they played, right? They just lost all those high-leverage situations. But again, they had an opportunity to correct that mistake, if you will, against Tennessee, and, you know, they were banged up, but I don't know that they're that, you know, less banged up in this one, right? The guys who are missing... Uh, of import are probably going to be missing for this game as well. Uh, Chicago and the New Orleans Saints, this number rising, rising, rising. The case for the Chicago Bears, obviously a really high number, an offense that's clicking a little bit better, and a Saints defense that like we are still making a ton of, I don't want to say excuses, but like accommodations for, right? Like, They got walked up and down the field by the Vikings two weeks ago, but because Alvin Kamara scored a billion touchdowns and the Saints' offense obviously dominated a pretty trash Vikings defense, we're all just kind of okay with the fact that, like, that game was kind of touchdown for touchdown for at least a full half, you know, maybe even a little bit more. Can this version of the Chicago Bears execute that sort of same level to hang in this game? Um, maybe, but right now the Bears defense is pretty gross, and I don't know that I'm that thrilled, uh, with expecting them to hold the Saints to, you know, under 30 points, right? Like, right now their, you know, point total over under is about 29 and a half, so kind of feel like we're going to need them to hold them under 30 points if you're backing the Bears here. Obviously, for the Saints, the argument is, well, the offense fully healthy, right? Michael Thomas appears like he's going to be back. You know, obviously we know all of the other weaponry there. Breeze, a couple of games under his belt since returning from injury, and that they can and probably should throw up more than 30 points, right? These two teams met earlier this year. Classic, like, in Soldier Field. Uh, We were on the Bears, plus the points. Game goes to overtime. Saints end up winning. So, you know, case for the Bears is, like, they've already at least shown in much different conditions, mind you, that they can kind of hang around with the Saints. But again, if Michael Thomas is in the mix, that's not a condition that the Saints offense had to deal with in that game. So while this line ticks up higher and higher, you know, nine and a half, okay. We're seeing some 10. There was even a website that dealt 10 and a half with minus 118. I almost just sort of hit that on principle, but you do sort of wonder if this will keep going up throughout the week. Uh, And then finally, the big sort of news of the day, right? Cleveland and Pittsburgh, a game that before we find out that Kevin Stefanski and a handful of coaches end up COVID, COVID-related, all of that stuff, look to be out for 
the game this week and we go okay well what does that mean for this game and so you've got a handful of things happening with this game so what's the case for cleveland well the case for cleveland is like we haven't really loved much from pittsburgh over the last what six weeks you know not counting even this past game right the last we saw of pittsburgh or at least sort of the semi-last because it was indy and pittsburgh it's halftime indy's smoking pittsburgh the offense looks atrocious and then all of a sudden, Pittsburgh comes out. Ben Roethlisberger says, screw this. I'm calling the plays here. Let me just sling it around. And the defense steps up and holds the Colts basically scoreless for the entire second half. And Pittsburgh, quote unquote, saves the season, wins the game, and gets the week off. Now they get the week off, and they get essentially their first bye week of the entire season. Now, this isn't a, you know, one, two, three Cancun going to the, you know, going away for a week. But like, you know, the veterans on that team get a rest and don't have to play. So now you have as fresh of a Ben Roethlisberger, for example, as you're going to get. And if it's just back to the same old offense of, you know, the offensive coordinator, Randy Fichter, is going to call the plays. He's bad at it. Roethlisberger, you know, takes over and maybe has to save the day late. You know, that's why we wouldn't necessarily want anything to do with the Steelers because of that level of uncertainty. So we go, okay, we're getting four and a half here with the Browns. Like, that looks interesting. You know, they could win this game outright, certainly possible. And then in, you sort of think about it for a second. You go, okay, well, like, for one, it wasn't a great look that they ended up in a pretty close game with the Steelers' sort of B team on Sunday. Obviously not great that the coach who is in the running for coach of the year isn't in there right this isn't you know the chargers missing anthony lynn or the broncos missing vic you know fangio and being like isn't it doesn't make any difference this does right he's calling the plays he's working with baker i think the offense takes a step back if he's not on the sideline right if he's not there calling the plays and so Maybe the fact that we haven't liked the Steelers for this extended period of time, maybe this is keeping that line from getting up to seven through seven, etc. And that's why we would like the Steelers because, again, the coaching issue is, is what it is. And we've seen various results of teams, where, whether it's like, okay, if you don't have your quarterback, that's one result. If you don't have your running backs, your wide receivers, like there's varying results based on the court. So there isn't any sort of guarantee. The only time we have had the coaches completely out of the mix was Detroit against Tampa Bay. And it's like, that's probably not what this is either. Like that was always going to be about as bad as it could possibly get. Even though we sort of looked at that game going like, what do the Lions coaches really matter, right? Like to me, Stafford made more of a difference going out of that game than the than the Lions coaches not being in there. So I don't even know that we can trust that being this like disaster potential for the Browns. But I do think that, we are getting a little bit of value here with Pittsburgh. Obviously, if you can grab a minus five and a half at this point, you got to do it as this thing's going to tick to six and then maybe even more widespread as it goes up to 10. Because as we then look at the matchups, we go, okay, first matchup, right? The Steelers did, it was one of the few games where they absolutely smoked an opponent, right? It was Cincinnati and it was Cleveland in that first half of the season where they were undefeated. You know, a lot of five, six, seven point games. And the Browns were the team that they didn't have much trouble with. Now, the Browns were banged up that week, and we were sort of all over that as the line kept trickling down towards the Browns that week. And then you see the Browns this week, and the B team hangs in there. And so I think you play Pittsburgh minus five and a half sort of as quickly as you can here, and then we see how the rest of this shakes out. The crazy part is all these guys 
you know, testing positive or sort of being around people. And like, listen, it's not obviously not the first week that the Browns have had COVID issues, obviously, right, against the Jets. So there's clearly been an outbreak. NFL, you're hilarious for just desperate to get the, you know, everybody crediting, right, the NFL. Oh, they got 256 in. They got every single game in. Like, kudos to them for doing it. And I'm just sitting back going like, I mean, you can do that if you just have no regard for human life and you just send everybody out there. Like, <laughs> the funniest tweet every week, right, is the Adam Schefter, like, everything's good to go on Sunday morning. Like, we haven't had any, like, we've had Thursday games, you know, compromised and canceled and postponed and whatever. Monday games, you know, all of this stuff. And it's like, no point on a Sunday morning where we like, oh, got to push this back because of all of this stuff. Like, everybody was clean on Sunday morning. Mm, sure, right? Like all of the Browns, had, or not all of, but like a handful of the Browns had COVID-19 two weeks ago. Okay, those guys can't play. Then all of a sudden they're healthy enough to play the Steelers this past week. And then two days later, a bunch of more COVID tracing stuff happens. What are we doing? So I guess my point is, is like as we wait for the rest of the week here, you go, are we sure the Steelers aren't going to come down with some stuff here if some of these guys... You know, we're out there running around for the Browns. And again, I don't, you know, we'll see if any players end up coming coming down with it. Like, what's the segregation level leading into these games between coaches and players, right? Like, if all the coaches have it and none of them, you know, gave it to the players, and how did the coaches get it? Was it from the wide receiving core that missed the game before? Anyway, just a ton uh, total of a mess when it comes to, uh, well, listen, the entire NFL. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, I'm going to go through those college basketball games that we talked to, and then I promise we'll get you out of here super quick. Hey gang, pardon the interruption, but I've got to do a quick ad for this podcast. Normally at the end of each show, I'll mention to subscribe, rate, and review the pod offhandedly, and if you have done all three things, then you're a rock star. If not, could you? It helps. But also, if you enjoy the content, whether it's saving you from following the lemmings over the cliff with that short road favorite, or the various guests, or whatever reason, could you do me a favor to help grow the show by telling a friend or even an enemy. One share with someone you talk sports with can go a long way to help build our little community. It would be greatly appreciated. Now, let's get back to the betting talk. All right, let's dig into some college basketball tonight. Again, we're getting a little deeper down the leg here as we dip into the hot tub that is college hoops. Um, handful of games here, and listen, in the past, when I started this podcast almost a year ago, I would literally go through the entire board in college basketball. Part of that is just trying to get through an episode, um, you know, start to finish without stumbling around. And listen, the level of success that I have on a daily basis with that is debatable, certainly. Um, but, you know, maybe come February, we do do a full up and down the board type of a thing here. But, you know, we're still in playoff mode here with the NFL. The NHL stuff, I promise, is coming here, you know, soon enough as we are just over a week away from the start of the regular season and a season unlike any other, if you will. Um, so let's just talk about games that I'm actually interested in betting here when it comes to college basketball tonight. Kansas minus five is a bet that I've already placed here. A couple of different things going on with this game, right? Garrett is questionable for the game, game time decision for the Jayhawks. Either way, 
you know, one game and one game only, I don't think that's a difference maker, right? He could easily play, have a bad game, and then you're sitting there going like, man, I really wish he had sat out, right? Like, these are still, at the end of the day, college kids um, on teams that, you know, they've got enough talent that it shouldn't matter if one guy is uh, out and uh, and it shouldn't change the point spread all that much. It's actually ticked up to six at this point, so obviously becomes a little bit less interesting from that standpoint. Uh, next one up, Rutgers plus one and a half, and maybe I'm sort of walking into a trap here based on the fact that, again, a handful of these teams I just don't think are very good. And I mean these teams, I mean like the top teams on a year-to-year basis. And I think Michigan State's still getting a ton of credit for being Michigan State. Seeing this line actually tick up to two, so you can grab Rutgers plus two, maybe even wait on it. You might get up to plus two and a half, something along those lines. But I think Rutgers is just a better basketball team than Michigan State. And I don't know that there's sort of a, I mean, obviously their home court advantage doesn't really exist. So like, what's the allure here to grabbing Michigan State just because, you know, they finally like won a game recently. You know, I don't, I don't necessarily buy into uh, that situation. Uh, Missouri on the road at Mississippi State. Listen, Kentucky beat Mississippi State on the road. I think Missouri is much better than Kentucky. And again, isn't that sort of a weird thing to say? Now, maybe Kentucky gets this thing turned around here as we get into you know January into February, um, and maybe it's sort of oversimplifying things with regards to like these two teams just play are just playing the same opponent on the same court. But my point is, like, I don't really love Mississippi State this year. Loved them last year. Again, the old folks who, who, who you know, were with us uh, in February and early March with the podcast know how into Mississippi State I was last season. That's not the case this year. So give me Missouri minus the two. Uh, Central Florida here, I think, is going to upset Memphis. And again, not a huge upset in the point spread world. This one, again, ticking up. Handful of these I made last night, and a handful of them I've waited on, and this is one that I waited on to see where this line ended up going. It's ticking up towards Memphis, which isn't all that surprising, but I think Central Florida um, gets the quote-unquote, you know, what might feel like a shocking upset here, but we're talking about a two-point underdog uh, in the game tonight. Like them to win outright. Uh, North Carolina at Miami, Florida. This thing uh, was, what, Four, I believe, and has ticked down to three and a half. I like Miami here. They've won a handful of games shorthanded. They're starting to get a little bit healthier this year uh, at this point. And again, nothing from North Carolina that I've seen recently is making, you know, North Carolina's going in this category of Kentucky, of Michigan State, of Duke, if they ever decide to play again, um, where it's just like right off season, like it's almost, you know, you know, they're almost above the fray with regards to like the COVID season. Like they're almost too good for it. And, you know, whether that's a coaching thing or whether, you know, maybe this would have all happened on a regular season. I just kind of don't really buy into that. And I think with college sports, whether it's football, we saw it a ton in the football season. And I think it's going to work out the same way in basketball. Like caring about this season is going to matter. And Miami's shown me that you can care about this season, that they care about this season, even without Chris Likes and a couple of other guys that have missed time this season. And so, like, I'm getting the home team. Again, home court advantage is what that is. But, like, I'm getting a team that I feel like cares about this versus a North Carolina team that I don't think really does. You know, 10.5-point underdogs to Notre Dame. They barely squeak out a win against the Irish on the weekend. So, yeah, give me Miami as an underdog here against North Carolina in a game that, like, 
a lot of times Miami kind of wins this game, whether it's against Duke or some other power in the ACC. They always kind of come through with these home games. I think now that we're getting three and a half points here with Miami, uh, that's certainly a reasonable bet. Maybe you leave a little sprinkle on the money line if you're so inclined. Iowa State and Texas. Now, this line is ticked off of the original number, so it's ticked down towards Iowa State. I'm just going to, I just like this Texas team. I think they've got way more talent than Iowa State. And while Iowa State has kind of hung in there with other teams, like West Virginia, for example, I think this is one where Texas just outruns them uh, and takes this one obviously relatively easily, given the fact that we're, you know, we're laying 12 and a half, 13 points here. But again, I think this is blowout potential here for Texas. Vanderbilt and Kentucky on the flip side. Like this is a line that would be, you know, uh, Kentucky would be an 11 and a half, 12 point favorite on sort of a really good year. Well, this is not that for Kentucky, right? And maybe they found something, right? Like they pulled a guy off the bench against Mississippi State to come on and hit a bunch of threes, right? Hit like seven three-pointers. And like that's how they got out of Starkville on the weekend, uh, you know, alive there for what you're their second win of the entire season. I mean, like Vanderbilt's nothing to write home about, never really is, but like there is some level of scrap here with Vanderbilt, right? Like, do they care versus Kentucky? And for me, this number a little bit high, opened at 12, is ticked down to 11.5. I think it's still worth playing at 11.5. I think we're also in blowout territory when it comes to Texas Tech. I grabbed that minus 15.5. It's up to 16. Kansas State this year, awful, and I don't think it's going to get any better for them. So I think Texas Tech coming off of a loss, sort of a surprise loss to an Oklahoma State team, kind of under the radar because they, from you know before the season started, um, opted into the season, but opted out of the postseason due to potential violations. Really disappointing, obviously, because Cade Cunningham, one of the better freshmen, you know, top prospect for next year's draft, still on that team. So point is, is like not an embarrassing loss necessarily for Texas Tech, but a home loss nonetheless, you know, while against a pretty good team. Now they get arguably the worst team in the Big 12 coming to town here with Kansas State. And I think they, you know, throw the clamps on defensively, all of that stuff. And I think we're looking at a potential, you know, 75 to 45 type of a game. And obviously at minus 16, we don't love laying that many points all that often. But I think you could find yourself potentially getting in trouble here with Kansas State if you decided to take the 16 points. Um, grab this next one as soon as you can here as it seems to be on the move. Florida at Alabama. Impressive Florida win against LSU, right? I didn't know if they had that in them. Um, I've soured basically in the last year of Mike White and you know, listen, Will Wade's nothing to write home about when he's not paying people, but um, Alabama minus two and a half. I think they have figured some things out and are coming around. Obviously a big win on the weekend. We had them as well against Tennessee getting the road win there. Now they come home and they get, they get Florida who again had this nice win against LSU but now it's like Florida's going on back on the road, feeling a little bit pretty good about themselves, maybe a little too good about themselves. And from a market standpoint, I think minus two and a half was too short upon open. Minus three, still good enough for me. So that's it as far as the plays. A bunch of handful, you know, handful of games here. But again, I haven't gotten deep into the college scene here enough to have a take this season on Florida Atlantic, James Madison, Central Michigan, Bowling Green, et cetera, et cetera, with this kind of crazy season. We haven't talked a ton about college basketball or my sort of strategy attitude going into this season beyond being like kind of bummed out that we're not having the same awesome college atmospheres, atmosphere as we normal, normally do in these places. 
But, you know, last year you're probably going like, hey, like you had plays on the Mac. You had plays on the Southland. Like we were betting those games last year. And I just decided this year, I'm like, I'm trimming it down. I am trimming it right down to essentially power five conferences. Because again, I don't know when the plug gets pulled at any given time. You know, normally, to be completely honest with you, I would be playing a lot of these sort of smaller schools because I'd want to learn more about these smaller schools for a conference tournament contest that uh, I've participated in for the last six, seven some odd years. That is arguably the highlight of my entire year when it comes to contest stuff. And last year, the gentleman who runs this contest, really an elaborate contest, like incredibly difficult organization for him he announced that like this was going to be the last year that he did these contests and so while that was a bummer and the contest literally got interrupted of course by the pandemic and so i don't expect him to do it this year and who knows ever again but the point is is like i now don't really need to know that much about conference usa and we're talking about this weird sort of you know shortened season you know teams taking two weeks off because of covid concerns here and there i'm just not going to bother to be honest, because I don't have that end goal. And the top conference teams, you know, I will learn by the time they that we get to the tournament. So I will know, for instance, that Drake is really good and have literally covered every single game this year. Like these are the sorts of things that at least are on my radar. But I don't need to know about Bradley or what the injury situation is over at Indiana State. So um, it'll be Power 5 stuff by and large, um, especially a focus on games that are on TV. Because at the end of the day, like from a profitability standpoint, it doesn't matter whether game is on tv or not on tv but from a recreational standpoint which is what we're trying to promote here yeah you guys care more about the games that are on tv and so we're going to try to focus on those games as best we possibly can as for the rest of the week on this show probably another short show tomorrow right wednesday kind of a no man's land situation college basketball only type of a thing probably a little bit shorter of a show as we sort of veer into the 40 minute mark of the show and then thursday i don't even know how long this is going to be going to go because it's a it's a new exercise that we're going to do and it's not even an exercise it's a new contest we're going to introduce you to the next great nfl playoff pool format but it's for small groups only four to eight people we're going to have a handful of guys on friends of the show and we're going to do uh we're going to set up this contest and it's called the vanier and so tune in on thursday for when we do the vanier and then you can take that on thursday friday you know saturday morning um get three four seven eight guys uh, and and do the same exercise, do the same pool, and have fun with it on your own. So we're going to sort of brand that, you know, the window, uh, the vanier is what we're going to call it, but it's going to be a window podcast thing that you can, of course, refer to for years to come, hopefully. So that's a really exciting thing that we're going to do on Thursday. Quick reminder, as usual, to subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast. Follow along at Authentic as well on Twitter. Until next time. I'll see you at the window.